Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Good afternoon, Miss O'Toole. Hey there, Hollister. How are you? Is that a trick question, Hollister? <laughs> well, it is a trick question. I just read the news that this is, in fact, for sure, the last season of The Good Wife, which starts next week. And I know that The Good Wife to you, oh. you The Good Wife is to O'Toole what The West Wing was to me. And the fact that The West Wing is no longer on makes life not quite the same for me. So... Are you okay? Does this mean you saw the Super Bowl ad? <laughs> I did not. I maybe I did see it on the Super Bowl ad. But anyway, are you are you devastated? Are you going to be okay? Well, I am and I'm not because Hollister. A couple weeks ago, you were the first to send me the news that Robert and Michelle King, the writers, were leaving the show, and I really was in that camp that didn't want to see the show continue without them because I knew that uh-huh. they had their natural seven season story arc. And it reminded me a little bit of Gilmore Girls when Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband left the show and it continued without them. Can I send you flowers? (laughs) Tell me what I can do. I think we should do another podcast as a great send-off to The Good Wife. Well, I don't really want to do that unless we can do a real podcast on The West Wing. So unless you're willing to do that, I'm not willing to do it. I'm willing I mean, to I'm willing to, I'm willing to send my condolences with flowers, but that's about it. And the other good news <laughs> is that the Kings are leaving, but they're starting a new show about a female journalist at the Vatican. And so I'm excited to watch anything that those two create. I think they are such gifted storytellers. The glass can always be half full and O'Toole will always find a way. But I do want to send condolences to O'Toole and to everybody out there who thinks it's one of the great shows on TV. I, of course, do not think that. But it re- yeah, I think it exactly. reset the bar. And I will watch Juliana Margulies in anything. And then I also want to announce that I did review on Hollister's review section of our website, uh, ScreenThoughts.net. I did review Hail Caesar. And I <laughs> saw that, Hollister, and it, I know, it sounded like you weren't exactly hailing Caesar. It wasn't my fault that I even went. You know, I went and I thought we were seeing 45 years and what? what's, oh my goodness. So anyway, but it is up there. And if you are not a negative person, don't even bother to read it is all I can say. I'm surprised you let it go up. O'Toole, O'Toole manages all that. Yeah. Well, I feel like you <laughs> saved me from two hours of a mistake. So I read your review okay. and I thought, well, I won't be seeing Hail Caesar, even though I thought George Clooney himself looked funny in the trailer. Well, I'm sure his wife's thinking of divorce. <laughs> I mean, look at, I mean, you know, somebody who is as seriously minded as she is, I, I can't even imagine how she could put up with that. But Maybe that's some good comic relief when you practice international law, you know? Right. And the last negative part that I wanted to talk about is we're still having trouble, unfortunately. Our new website has created a bit of havoc in our iTunes. And so, again, you have to unsubscribe, resubscribe, unsubscribe. Perhaps the best way to listen to us is to go to soundcloud.com and start to download us from there because iTunes just, if you've, somebody who subscribed before January 1st, to our podcast is just not it's not carrying you over into the new world that we've brought to you from our new website so our apologies please don't give up on us and um, people shouldn't have problems with other podcatchers like stitcher exactly mm-hmm. right so hollister i wanted to give you a little bit of good news because i know you love the show did you see where house of cards is coming back for a fourth season well, I think I knew that even at the end of season three. The problem with House of Cards is I think there's too much time between seasons. It's almost like Orange is the New Black. When it's a year before you see the next season, and Homeland has the same is- issue, I think it's hard to keep it 
really close to you. Whereas, you know, grays and, 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 and shows like that, they come back every three months. So they go on a hiatus for two or three months and then they come back with the next season. And it seems to me that since those shows like grays are carrying 22 episodes, I'm not quite sure why HBO and Showtime has so much trouble putting out six or seven episodes. Just doesn't make sense. Well, that's because you're an Olympic binge watcher. I still haven't finished season three, so I got to get with it to be ready by March 4th. It began with the Black Plague. Within weeks, the dead began to rise. This cannot be. Hunting for human flesh. Now, the few of us that are left have only one way to survive. We must bring the fight to them. This week, because of our partnership with LitLovers.com, we decided to do Pride and Prejudice in Zombies this week. <laughs> the international and, bestseller. Yeah, well, it was a bestseller, frankly, a piggyback. I call it a piggyback bestseller. If it had come out without the Pride and Prejudice in the front of it, would it have been a bestseller? I'm not so sure. And yet, a bestseller it was. It is a bestseller. That is true. Yep, it is true. Okay, so first, should we should we talk about the book first? Well, it's hard to talk about one without the other. <laughs> Actually, we've got to talk about. I think two it's hard books. to talk about either of them, <laughs> frankly. But you know what? I'm going to try to come in with a good attitude because I already wrote one bad review this week. But what? I, are you serious? Like, first of all. Jane Austen is ready. If there is such a thing as a zombie, she's going to come back and get whoever did this because it's awful. (laughs) And secondly, I watched the second, I read the second version of the book, which where I guess people asked for more zombies in the second version of the book. So all they did was go into the book and add at the end of every other sentence and the zombies came. (laughs) So for me... (laughs) You know, the book is, it's like, okay, Pride and Prejudice, and then there were zombies. And, <laughs> and if anything, at least the movie I thought was better than the book. Did you, would you agree? I feel as though every 10 years we're due for another big adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, a book that has been so popular since 1813. So, of course, the Colin Firth, Jennifer Ely version came out in 95. The Kira Knightley version came out in 2005. And then, you know, it wasn't that long ago, I'm sure you saw the When Harry Met Sally sequel zombie mashup on YouTube. I did not. You did not. I'm going to play a clip of it here for you. It's not only about Harry dealing with the loss, but also about finding love again. Yeah, you know, because people love Harry and Sally. I mean, they, they want to know what they're up to now. I mean, even if one of them is dead. There's definitely an audience for this. It's genius. I just have one little tweak. Not a big deal. So anyway, he was chowing down on this forearm. Well, no, it wasn't a forearm. It was his thigh. I was chowing down on his thigh, and here comes this little girl. Well, anyway, you know, he's always had this huge appetite. I have a very big appetite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the minute I thought, okay, if you can turn When Harry Met Sally into a little zombie mashup in this era of Hunger Games and the girl with the dragon tattoo, I don't see why you can't have a zombie overlay over Jane Austen's most beloved novel. Uh, I don't even know what to say to that. (laughs) Other than the Karen Knightley version, at least it didn't denigrate the book by adding in things that just, 
it's sacrilege. It's it's not okay. Not well, okay. we should say Seth Graham Smith, who wrote the novel, it was his editor's idea. He called up Seth Graham Smith and pitched to him the five words that would change their lives, pride and prejudice and zombies. What he said to him is, I want to add a word to the end of pride and prejudice. And then you tell me if you think you can write it. And he said, and zombies. And then the response was, yes. He immediately saw it. Um, oh, my God. You know, as a guy who wasn't that enamored with the book, but his editor was the one who then pitched it to the publishers, and it was published appropriately, I think, by Quirk Books. Um, but Seth Graham Smith was the one who wrote Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Oh, my God, I missed that, too. What a surprise. <laughs> yes, he wrote the novel and the screenplay, both of which did pretty well. So I am quite sure they'll probably collaborate on another book. Yeah. But Seth Graham Smith, in the preface to the enhanced version of the book, he's talking about how he took the original and then added in his zombie text in red, which seemed appropriate to him. And as you mentioned, it was such a hit that people wanted even more zombies. Yeah, well, they got it. I mean, it's so funny because, first of all, I think, that, again, I, I think that the um, that the movie was so much stronger than the book. So I'm going to probably speak a little bit more about the movie. And the thing was, it was nice to see the lovers being having a common enemy other than each other, you know, that was sort of nice. It did. I mean, that's the most positive up the stakes is the stakes part, like a double entendre. When all of a sudden you've got a fear that something could come out of the woods and eat your brains. It, it does add some stakes to the plot. Well, the other thing is some of the casting, I think didn't help the movie either. Sam Riley is not handsome enough and sort of aloof enough to be Darcy. Did you think he was? Now, who would have been your perfect Darcy? Well, Colin Firth is the perfect Darcy. He's probably the most popular. That's because he's the perfect Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice, uh, I actually like the Karen Knightley version a lot, but the BBC version with Colin Firth, you know, Colin Firth just could carry that role really, really well. Now, Lily James, by the way, who I think probably did do as good a job as could be done on that, she read the script. It was sent to her, and she hadn't even heard about the book, and she read the script on the set of Downton Abbey in two days. And I Mm -hmm. thought that was something. So here you are on the set of Downton Abbey reading this thing about zombies, you know, at the time of Jane. I mean, it just made total sense to me. You know, she had some great quotes because she said at first she was in the camp of people who just found the idea abhorrent. And then she read the script thinking, okay, Jane Austen is our birthright because we're English. And she said in the adaptation, they're like lethal Spice Girls. (laughs) She said, you know, we're the ones who rescue the men. We're the strong, strong characters. We're complete equals. And she did a terrific job. I read that all the Bennett sisters had to take a month of martial arts classes. So Lily James trained and boxed extensively. And she was very convincing as a Lizzie Bennett who could pull a sword. I totally bought her in that role. The zombie apocalypse is here. I've been training for this my whole life. I don't know. Should we be taking these great classic novels and be doing this to them? And isn't there something wrong with being able to take somebody else's words and 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 bastardize them in that way? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that should be legal. Do you? I mean, do you? 
You think it should be? Well, I thought it was a very interesting afterword to the book by Dr. Alan Grove. This question, would Jane Austen be rolling in her grave? And he thought it was hard to say because he said Jane Austen died before the big Frankenstein craze in her own era. So he said that provincial English readers at the time knew in the age of Jane Austen that their genteel world of tea parties was under threat by sweeping social changes and violent revolutionary forces. So he kind of cheered for this reinvention of Elizabeth Bennet as the one where she wields steel to preserve her way of life. And I thought that was interesting when he addressed this question of why was Gothic literature so popular back in the 19th century with people who also would have been reading Jane Austen. Well, I don't know how Jane Austen felt about her writing, but I know how I feel about things I've written. And if somebody 50 years from now could take what I've written and totally add endings to it in a way that is so alien to anything that I'd set out to do with anything I've written, I don't know that that's a good thing. I think you have to write it yourself. And I don't think you get to piggyback on such a great novel. I totally agree. And yet it is remarkable that in her short life, because Jane Austen died when she was only 41, everything she's ever written has been adapted for the big screen. To do another take on it, you need some fresh device. But what's interesting is it took a really long time to make it. Now, do you know who was originally cast as Elizabeth Bennet in this? Natalie Portman. Well, did you see where Natalie Portman's the producer? She stayed on as the producer, but she was originally cast as Elizabeth Bennon and then dropped out uh, because of a schedule problem. And then Scarlett Johansson, Anne Hathaway, Emma Stone, Rooney Mara, Myla Kunis, and Blake Lively were all considered to replace her before Lily came on. Point being, you know, maybe it was because it shouldn't have been made. And did Natalie yeah. Portman turn it down because she went off to make Jane Got a Gun that you reviewed last week? Well, she, uh, they said there was a scheduling conflict, but I think she just didn't want to play the role. That's what I think. Um, now, guess who was originally set to direct it? Um, a woman? No, man. Of course not. <laughs> well, no, I figured it had to be a woman because Natalie Portman for Jane Got a Gun insisted on a female director. Well, she didn't get one. Don't you remember the female director was replaced, which was part of what I felt was the problem with the film? Well, that's why I thought this one probably got replaced, too. Well, no. So, the, guess who was originally set to direct? Um, You're going to love this answer. <laughs> um, Jennifer Lawrence's guy? Yep, David O. Russell. Wow. Very good guess. So when he dropped out... And do you know why he dropped out? Uh, it's, quote, a scheduling conflict. You're seeing a oh, repetitive... another scheduling exactly. conflict. Okay, so when he dropped out, Mike Newell, David Slade, Matt Reeves, Jonathan Demme, Neil Marshall, Mike White... Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were considered before Burr Steers was chosen. Again, I think this movie was not supposed to be made. But you preferred the movie more than the book. I'm trying to say that I didn't like either one of them. <laughs> well, I think that's becoming very clear. I got to tell you, though, when I picked up the book, okay, the opening line of Jane Austen's original is, of course, so famous, the very first sentence. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. And that sentence always appealed to me that she started out by talking about husbands looking for wives and not the other way around. So when I picked up Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and see the very first sentence is, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a zombie in possession of brains must be in want of more brains. I got to tell you, that really did kind of make me laugh. And then I thought, for me, that dose was probably enough. 
where I got the conceit. I can see how that could be humorous, but I didn't need as big a dose of it as the book provided. Huh. You know, maybe it could have been a short story or it could have been a Saturday Night Live skit. It could have been a YouTube spoof like when Harry met Sally. Exactly. But uh, but to to make a, quote, serious, you know, film around it, I I don't know. Just it just seems sacrilege. In fact, I was upset that I gave them my eight dollars. You know, when I was in St. Augustine for the film festival, I was actually at their library. I know. No surprise to you. And I was talking to Emily, who's a librarian at the St. Augustine Library. And she told me that she had read the book and she didn't really enjoy it because she said she felt it didn't rise to the level of an original work. It almost sounded like testimony you could use in oh, a yeah. copyright rise case. To the, but that's so beautifully said, rise to the level of an original work. You know what? That's exactly why I was irritated. Mm-hmm. It's not an original work and you don't get to, you don't get to make a ton of money as if it were. And then Emily, the librarian, said something else very interesting. She said she hadn't yet seen the movie, but she was already assuming that she would prefer the film to the book because she said that zombies make better visuals. She doesn't want to read about all the gory detail. You know what? Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Absolutely You've got to love Emily at the St. Augustine Library because when I was reading the book, you know, and they're constantly in the book getting sick to their stomachs, and there was one scene where they strangle somebody with their own bowels. I was like, okay, I'm done. And I will give this to the movie that I thought they handled that much better. I don't want to use the adjective in a much more appetizing way, but it wasn't as unappetizing. There were a few cutaways to, you know, people who looked like they had been the brain buffet. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought it, it was better as a visual in the movie. I think so. But see, I also listened to the audiobook. I didn't read the book. And audio, mm-hmm. I think, is you know, it wasn't as bad as seeing it actually in print. And I'm so glad I didn't read it in print because um, Pride and Prejudice is my favorite novel. And so for me to see it in print, I think I would have cried. There's another thing about the movie that I thought they did better than the book. And in the book and all the prior movie adaptations, the character who's always bothered me the most, do you want to guess who it is? Her sister? The sisters are definitely up there. Not Jane, but the younger three. Yeah. Who? What? Who? Mrs. Bennett. I don't even know why I didn't say that first. Mrs. Bennett is ridiculous. She's ridiculous. Yes. Like, I guess the word is a flippity gibbet, you know, where she's just so, I don't know, grates on my nerves in every single adaptation, no matter how capable the actress is. By the way, Jane Austen's all of the mothers in her novels. The mother in Sense and Sensibility, same thing. You know, sort of like this idiot woman who couldn't figure it out for herself, so her daughter has to step in and do so, you know? It just, it's just irritating all the way around. So she does have these empowered younger women in her books, not all of them, but you usually end up with an Elizabeth Bennett-like character. So I liked in the movie version of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies that the younger sisters and the Bennett parents, their roles were much reduced. So even when the sister runs off with Wickham, they don't belabor that. They really well, kind of stick with... Who has time to belabor the main things from the novel when zombies <laughs> are going to eat you? I, you know, like, no offense, there's not a lot of time here for other actions. Oh dear. Well, I was thinking about this because I saw a recent quote by Stephen King, and I thought it was super interesting, and it reminded me of these different Pride and Prejudice versions. Because in the Colin Firth one, which is so popular, that version 
is five hours long. It was obviously a TV miniseries. Stephen King, one of his books, is being adapted for television, and this is his quote. He says, movies... With a long book, it's like trying to sit on a suitcase and get everything inside. <laughs> That's a great quote. And it's so funny you should bring up Stephen King because I actually had written his name down because he's somebody who accomplished what this book... This book accomplished it on the on the coattails of Jane Austen's work. Mm-hmm. Perhaps on the petticoat tails. <laughs> exactly. Love it. Okay, Stephen King, he built his successful novels from scratch. You know, and he built every brick, you know, painstakingly so in a genre that's very, very difficult, I think, to succeed in. So I love the idea of bringing him in, you know, into this podcast because he knows how to do it properly. And I don't think anybody else did. And yet with this version, because of the zombie overlay, I'm glad they didn't make it any longer. So one hour and 47 minutes in and out, it could have been even shorter if you asked me, Uh but you know, I thought they focused on the right parts. They did make it more visual and it was a more original work. Exactly. I agree. Totally. Totally. So, so you have to tell me, so do you recommend it? If somebody is a zombie fan, I recommend it. If somebody is intrigued by the concept, I recommend it. But would I seek it out beyond perhaps um, being on an airplane and seeing it as a selection? You know, I, I don't think I would be running to the movie theater to see it. But I thought the actors did a great job. The conceit actually amused me. But if we weren't doing it for Lit Lovers, I wouldn't have gone. Right. And we love Lit Lovers. We and do by love the way, Lit Lovers. Yes. And Lit Lovers told us, Molly, from Lit Lo- who, who started, who founded Lit Lovers, this was a really popular book in book clubs all across the country. I got to say, though, I thought this was a fresh take on Pride and Prejudice to really invert the marriage plot and make them female warriors. So, for example, in the book where Lydia is prattling on and on about how Jane should be so ashamed about being an old maid at three and 20, and Elizabeth just pulls out her sword and chops off her head, (laughs) I have to say, I found that amusing. The fairest wifely choice is to be right here in this room. My daughters were trained for battle, sir. Not the kitchen. A woman must have a thorough knowledge of singing, dancing, and the art of war. I shall never relinquish my sword for a ring. The right man, you would. The right man wouldn't ask me to. We were born to be one. Or in the book and in the movie, when she's fighting with Darcy. When she just kicks him into the mantelpiece and they go at it with sexual tension being, of course, represented by the fighting in the books and the movies. I don't know. I like that they became warriors. I think it's funny. There's another TV movie coming out this year. We'll let you know when it's happening called Unleashing Mr. Darcy. And frankly, I'm more looking forward to that than I was, you know, this for sure. Who leashed him in the first place? Uh, the fight between Lizzie and Darcy, it did remind me of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Right. Well, now you've just sent Jane Austen totally on, on a frenzy. Because to be comparing her novel to Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I'm sure she's going, this is fabulous. Uh, I how think far she we've evolved since she I, was on the planet. I think she would all be for the heightened powers. Uh-huh. I do. Okay, uh-huh. then. Right. Um, you know um, somebody who I thought added a lot of levity to the movie version? I thought 
it, this was a terrific acting turn. You're going to no. be shocked probably by my answer. Who? Pastor Collins, played by Matt Smith. Huh. I thought he was terrific. And this is the bit of trivia. Do you know who he's dating in real life? Yes, Lily. Yes. <laughs> who would have thought that Lizzie really ends up with Pastor Collins? Did you recognize who played Mrs. Bennett? No. She was Shazza, the friend in the Bridget Jones diary. Huh, okay. And this just goes to show the power and the resonance of Jane Austen to this day. I didn't realize this, but the Bridget Jones diary, that was more than a nod to Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, absolutely. And not just because it starred Colin Firth. Uh, no, but I knew that even when I saw it. I think I read the book and I knew it. I mean, we ta- I think we re- I think actually I read it in book club. So yeah, I mean, it was always, you know, it's the same premise of your pride and your prejudice gets in the way of your heart and your, your, um, your growth. Yep. And the producers of Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Love Actually, they say every modern romantic comedy they've ever done has pretty much been based on Pride and Prejudice. Right. And, but you're missing the one that, you know, that everyone talks about. That wouldn't be the Bollywood version, Bride and Prejudice. <laughs> Only you could say that you love me and insult me at the same time. What? You tried to forget me. Loving me is crazy. I'm not good enough for your mother. And you think I'd want to leave my family for you after you've ruined my sister's life? You're the last person I'd ever want to be with. No, who's the one? Um, not Legally Blonde. Um, not, who's, Do you mean Clueless? Was, yeah, Clueless, my dear. Clueless well, is the one. Clueless is based on Emma. So it's based on a Jane Austen book, but not Oh, that's right. that's right. That's right. That's yep. right. Yeah, take and it And then, back. of course, there was Emma starring Gwyneth Paltrow. Emma oh. Thompson won the Oscar for adapting Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. It's just amazing to me. Did you know, okay, Pride and Prejudice was the first novel Jane Austen ever wrote but she didn't publish it first. She stuck it in a drawer. She wrote it when she was 21 and called it First Impressions. So the first book she ever published was Sense and Sensibility. And then 15 years later, she went back and pulled what became Pride and Prejudice out of the drawer. Wow, I didn't know that. And I'm sort of happy to know that. And I'm glad you're bringing something real to the end of this podcast. <laughs> Did you know she published all her books anonymously? Well, she had to do it because women, you know, she felt she would, would, might not get published if she used her name. And yet, isn't that amazing today to see those covers that say, by a lady? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And yet she was so popular, even in her lifetime, the Prince Regent asked her to dedicate Emma to him. Well, there you go. So anyway, I do not recommend that you see this film under any circumstances, by the way. (laughs) Did you see for their European premiere, they had zombies on the red carpet? No, I did not. (laughs) Okay. I've got one last question for you, Hollister. I, I was really wondering about this. I always think of Darcy as Darcy. I never think of his first name being Fitzwilliam. And then when I was reading the book and I see this Fitzwilliam, I had to think back to last week's podcast when we were discussing Scandal. And of course, Tony Goldwyn plays President Fitz. Do you think Shonda chose that name as a nod to Darcy? No. (laughs) In a word, no. And it's time for us to leave now. Do you think it was a nod to John Fitzgerald Kennedy? Besides the fact that I'm not naturally drawn to zombie movies, there was one thing that really struck me about the movie that I would have changed. And that was the order in which we're introduced to the characters. Did you notice in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the movie, we meet Mr. Darcy before we meet Elizabeth Bennet? 
Yeah, I, that didn't bother me. Did it bother you? It bothered me because I always think of oh. it as Elizabeth Bennett's story. I think it she's the heroine. Yeah. And I think we should see her first. You know what? I, I, that's a, you know, and if they're ever going to do a real movie uh, around this, <laughs> then they'll make that change. I promise. It was odd to see him come in as a zombie fighter before we've met her and know that she's the zombie fighter. I think it would have been more powerful to wait to meet Darcy. I hear you, sister. And, you know, even the book, because the book copied the original, waited to meet Mr. Darcy. There you go. One other group that I wanted to give a shout out to that normally don't get shout outs, the Foley, I thought was great in the movie. I mean, it's again, it's not my thing, but when blood squirted, I could hear the swords clashing. I I know it's kind of gross, but I think it's one of the unsung bits of movie making. I'm surprised to hear you say that, you who doesn't like any sort of violence on the screen at all. Things that they've proven, for example, when you watch something on TV or the big screen, when you see someone walking down the hall, if we don't hear the footsteps, it throws us out of the story, even though in real life you usually don't hear the footsteps. So somebody went back through this movie and added the blood and the swords and the chinking cups. Okay, and you know what? Maybe they'll be nominated for an award for that. They should be. I think they did a Mm. great job. Alistair, I know you didn't enjoy the book, but there is a book that I wanted to recommend to you in case you haven't already read it. Okay. It's called Creativity, Inc. Oh, Have really? you heard okay. about it? Yes. I was inspired by our listener, Catherine, aka Pinkman Cat on Twitter, who a couple of podcasts ago, we mentioned how she had written to us and told us how much she loved Inside Out. And Creativity, Inc. tells the story of the founding of Pixar there are people involved in this years-long story. I had no idea. George Lucas. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'll definitely check it out. Steve Jobs. I think you would love it. It gives a lot of lessons in creative collaboration. It's totally Great. up your alley. Okay. I'm on check it. it. I'm all over Creativity that book. Creativity, Inc. Okay. okay. All right. So this ends this podcast on Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. <laughs> but I'm going to try to be positive next week. So looking forward to seeing you all then. We'll come back like the undead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay.